The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. That's his story. I don't, I don't know your story, but I, I would imagine that there are many of you in this room who can say, yeah, I, I, can, I, mean, I can relate. Maybe not to all the pieces, but like, yeah, I, I was walking this path, and that path was leading nowhere, and things were starting to fall apart, but then this happened, and, and God intervened, and, and now there's, there's this. It's, it's your story, and we live in a culture where we think like, hey, you know, you, there is no absolute truth, or I, like, you, you can't tell me I'm wrong. I can't, I can't really talk to you, and, and in, in reality, it's, it's hard, I think, as a follower of Christ to engage in a conversation with someone uh, because just so quick. It's like, well, do you really think this, 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 and this? And, and it's so much better to meet that person on a plane of, you know, I, I'm not sure how, how creation worked exactly, but I know this. I once was like this, and now I'm not. And we think that maybe that just works for today, but that's not true. Uh, that worked 2,000 years ago. And there's a story in the Bible in, in Mark chapter 5, if you want to head there. Mark chapter 5. I've got about 15 minutes to do 30 minutes worth of work, so we're going to go really, really quick. Um, but in Mark chapter 5, there's a really amazing story of Jesus encountering someone who needed help desperately. Let's just uh, look at the first five verses. If you don't have a Bible, they'll be on the screen behind me. It says that they went across the lake. The they is Jesus and his disciples in a boat. Uh, they went across the lake. It's really the Sea of Galilee but Mark has it right. It's not the size of an ocean or a sea. It's about seven and a half miles across, and they went towards the eastern shore, the region of the Gerasenes. The eastern shore, unlike the western shore, was godless. The Jews kind of hung out in Jerusalem on the western shore, and that's where God really had a presence, and that's where Jesus had done a lot of his ministry. On the eastern shore, Jesus was going there because no one knew who he was. Jesus was heading there because he needed a break after some really intense ministry. He was going there to not be noticed or known. They experienced a storm on the way, so they got there late. It's between 9 o'clock and midnight. They're not expecting anyone to meet them on the shore, but that changes quickly. Verse 2, when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit, which is kind of a nicer way of saying demon, A man with a demon came from the tombs to meet him. I don't expect that many of you have been to the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee, but if you were to land, you would see that there's several feet of beach followed by granite cliffs that are dozens, if not hundreds of feet high. And over centuries, cultures have done this. They took and cut out of the stone rooms and then alcoves off the rooms and made tombs out of them. It's a graveyard. Jesus landed on the shore of a graveyard at nighttime and expecting no one to really be doing anything in a graveyard at nighttime, he's met by someone who came out of the tombs. This man lived in the tombs. Why would you do that? Because you ain't got nowhere else to live. And we don't know if it's because of poverty or because of his ostracism from the community, but I think it's the latter. He's living amongst the bones. This is about the bottom of the barrel. This is where he stays. It's, it's nighttime. He lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore. And that's sad because that meant at some point they would go and tie this guy down and he would be stuck. But there's some kind of freakish strength that's provided by these demons. Not even a chain could bind him. So the community is terrified of this demon-possessed man. 
He had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Therefore, he was public enemy number one. This crazy man who lives in the tombs that no one can hold, not even with chains. You don't want your kids around him. So you hear that he's coming, you hear the chains dragging and you run the other way. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. He's desperate. He's hurting. He's crying out. He's showing publicly his need for someone to step in and intervene, but no one will because they're so afraid of him and I'm not even gonna judge those people too harshly because I'm not sure that I would have gone up and been, hello, crazy man, how can I help you? Verses six through 10, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran towards him. Now, I think Jesus is Jesus, so he probably knew what was going on. I think the rest of the disciples saw this man running, bleeding, screaming, howling, chains dragging. Oh, by the way, he's naked. Um, Doesn't say that. Matthew throws that one in for us. Naked, screaming, running, crazy, bleeding, chains, man, midnight, tombs, coming, I'm gone. (laughs) Jesus, you landed us at the bad, bad beach. We must go now, but Jesus doesn't flee. Instead, the man fell on his knees in front of Jesus. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. We'll find out later that this isn't the man speaking, it's the demons living in him. And the demons know very well who Jesus is, even though Jesus has never been to this area. Jesus is the son of the most high God. That's actually an incredible title, one that the disciples have yet to even figure out. But this demon knows that he is dealing with God. And when God and Satan go toe to toe, there is only one victor. And so immediately this demon starts going, hey, don't, don't hurt us. Don't hurt us. We didn't expect to see you here tonight. We know who you are, but just, just let us be. Don't torture us. Jesus said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. And then Jesus asked him, what is your name? Now, some people that are smarter than me about the Bible believe that this is kind of Jesus playing a game. If you in the first century would have hired an exorcist, I don't know if they're in the yellow pages or not, but if you would have hired one, hey, my cousin's demon possessed, we need you to come exorcise the demon. The way an exorcism in the first century would work is that the exorcist would come in and begin to call upon names of people, strong, spiritually filled people that can battle the unseen realm of demons. If you notice... The demon starts off with the biggest name, son of the most high God. And Jesus then kind of messes with him by saying, and by the way, what what is your name? I'm God. Who are you? My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Another translation is into the abyss. Now, Satan and his demons, their fate is sealed, okay, it's, it's a done deal. But they have some time here on this earth to run amok, and that's a light way of putting it. And these demons, these spirits, the legion of them, a legion is 6,000 Roman soldiers, we don't have 6,000 spirits, I, I don't know if anyone actually counted. There's a truckload of them though. 
They want the rest of their time. They're not deceived. They know where their eternity is, and it's in the abyss. But they want a few more years to, to wreak havoc on this earth. And so they ask Jesus for that. Don't send us out. Verses 11 through 13. There was a large herd of pigs feeding on a nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go possess them. And he gave them permission. And the impure spirits, the demons, came out and went into the pigs. And then the herd of about 2,000 pigs in number rushed down the steep banks, remember the cliffs, swan dived into the Sea of Galilee, and they drowned. It's midnight. Jesus and this demon-possessed man are having a conversation, but as we can see, it's not the man, it's the demon speaking. They come up with a plea bargain. See them pigs up there? Can we go be? Can we go just be in, in them? Just give us the time to be in them. Now, uh, my grandparents uh, lived next to like a small pig farm, like twenty pig farm. Smelled horrible. A two thousand pig pig farm. Oh, and so I I don't know why Jesus relented. I don't know why he showed mercy. Maybe it's because he's Jesus. But I don't know if it's a huge win getting to go jump into a swine's body. But that's what he allowed. And then I don't know if this picture is in your mind, but someone's gonna wake up in the morning and there's 2,000 floating bloated pig carcasses out in the beautiful Sea of Galilee. And people are gonna notice that. There's a huge economical price here. This, this is not good. And it's all because a bunch of pigs committed suicide. I read that in a book. You can use that one if you want. 2,000 pigs commit suicide. Hot off the press. Uh, joking aside, corny joking aside, there's a problem. Now, I don't know if you call a pig farmer a pig shepherd or not, but there was an overnight pig watch shepherd guy who just went, my boss is going to be mad. You can lose one or two out of the 2,000. They might not know, but when he wakes up tomorrow and his whole herd is floating in the Sea of Galilee, I'm probably gonna lose my job. And I'm not sure if you can still make bacon out of a floating pig corpus, but it's, uh, it's probably not good. So he decides he needs to get some backup. He needs to write an incident report because that was not his fault. This was beyond his control. Verses 14 through 17 those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and in the countryside. And you gotta remember, it's the middle of the night, so they just went around waking people up. Hey, this is a big deal. I need you to come see this. And most importantly, just remember that uh, I didn't do it. Regardless of how the story is told in the next few days, I didn't do it. The people went out to see what had happened, I can imagine, the chaos in the middle of the night, people throwing on their slippers and their bathrobes, running to the shore. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, presumably with the clothes of one of the disciples or even Jesus himself. And he was in his right mind, but the people weren't. They were afraid. Oh, there's the guy. Quick, child, get behind me. I hope they've got the chains on him. What, this, we need to go now. The, the pig's cool, but we gotta get out of here. There he is, but he was sitting there and he was in his right mind, but the people were afraid. Those who had been 
those who had seen it, seen what had happened, told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well, uh, just as a reminder. Yeah, that guy's good, but the pig's not my fault. Just remember that. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Rather than try and understand the complexity of what was going on, they said, hey, man, um, this is bad. This guy here, that's interesting. Uh, regardless, you've been here a few hours and you've caused quite a stir. Get back in your boat and go. Now, get out of here. They don't want to deal with Jesus right now. Verses 18 through 20. As Jesus was getting in the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. No joke. Jesus, you just radically changed my life, but more importantly, they're gonna blame me for this. Maybe you don't know, but they don't really like me. Um, I don't have a home to go back to. Um, I was just a few hours ago sitting here cutting myself. The scars are real. They're never gonna trust me. They're never gonna accept me. I, if you just let me go with you, I'll follow you for the rest of my life. It seems like exactly something that Jesus would go, yes, my son, come and follow me. In fact, he said that, right? I mean, that's, those are his exact words, but that's not how he responds to this man. Jesus did not let him go, but said, go home to your own people. Oh, that's rude. No, and no, young man, I know we've only known each other for a little while, but I, I need you to go back. Now, for Jesus to be that rude, there has to be a reason, and luckily he tells us what the reason is. He says, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Go testify. Go share this story of what happened to you this night. Go tell anyone who will listen. Go tell everyone how the Lord has had mercy on you. Go tell everyone because they already know I once was this, but now I'm this. Go tell them about God and how powerful he is. So the man went away, and it doesn't say this, but boy, I've got to think he went away dejected, scared, this new life. I, even when we are radically transformed, it's like, but all my friends are still this, all my circumstances are this. What is it gonna be like now that I'm walking with the Lord? He went away dejected, he went away scared, but he began to tell in the Decapolis, that's a 10 city region with hundreds of thousands of people. He began to tell what about what God had done for him and the mercy that had been shown to him. He began to tell them how much Jesus had done for him and everyone he told was amazed. No kidding. His legend, the legend of Legion, was probably pretty well known. And as most rumors do typically grow, it was probably uh, a pretty big story that was told around different pubs and social circles. You ever seen the naked guy on the tombs? Then that guy walks in and goes, yeah, I've, I've heard that one. That was me. And they cringe and he goes, no, 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 let me tell you a story. This night, I, I was just, I don't, even, I don't remember it very well, but I was, I was doing my thing and this boat showed up and I ran at him. And the next thing I know, everything changed. And they look at him and go, yeah, that's you. I mean, I see the scars, I, the, the marks from the chains. I, I actually, my, my uncle was the one who tried to chain you the second time. And they were amazed. And, and that's, that's the end of a beautiful story, right? That's, that's pretty, pretty profound and pretty cool. But it doesn't end there. 
Jesus left. The people told him to get in the boat and go, and he did. He wouldn't return to that region. Jesus himself has stepped foot on the, in that region for, what, a couple hours. And he wouldn't go back for six to eight months. But when he returns, there was a crowd of thousands waiting for him. When Jesus returned the next time to that region, thousands were waiting for him. Different reception. He taught them. This is in Mark chapter seven, the end and the first part of chapter eight. He taught them and then he fed them. And this was the, le- the less famous feeding of Jesus. Jesus fed the 5,000 in Galilee. But over in the Decapolis, he fed 4,000 men. Still not bad. Same way, like small meal, leftovers, pretty miraculous thing. Where did the thousands of people come from? I've got a hunch. One man who went and told people what God had done for him and the mercy that had been shown to him. Now he's got a pretty good story, right? That's a good story. But I think him being faithful, what Jesus had called him to do, and him just simply sharing his story is what enabled thousands to gather there in the Decapolis the next time Jesus' ship hit the shore. Now, church, probably you don't got that story. And if you do, please come tell it to me. I would love to hear that one. But as the band comes back up here, you do have a story. I, my stories, I mean, my story's my story. I was raised in a good home. I was taught to believe in God. I prayed before most meals that were eaten at our dinner table. But it wasn't until I was 14 that I knew you were supposed to have a relationship with Jesus. And it wasn't until I was in my mid-20s that I realized that that relationship with Jesus was supposed to be one of love, not obeying rules. And I once was a good person. But now because of Jesus and because I'm slow, about 15 years of growth, I once was a good person. And now I'm a dude who's broken and sinful beyond belief, but loves Jesus. And that's my story. And that might be your story. But the only reason I get to have that story is because of the mercy that was shown to me in my legalistic, sinful self. Because of what God did for me. That's my story. Now, I just wonder, some of you have a story, and today we're gonna respond. We're gonna sing one song. Normally you sing three songs. We're gonna sing one song because we gotta go. We're gonna sing one song. And if you haven't thought about what God has done for you and the mercy that's shown to you. And if you're walking with the Lord today in any capacity, then I want you to take this one song saying, thank you, God, for the mercy you've shown to me. And God, will you give me a chance? Probably because you're gonna have some family and friends around this week. It's a Thanksgiving thing. Um, will you give me an opportunity this week to just tell someone what you've done for me? Will you convict me to do that? But then there's also people in here. You came because you're the uncle of one of these, one of these babies or you knew, one of, you knew someone get back. You're here because of that. And you didn't intend to be here and you're going, um, I don't got a story at all. I don't even know who this Jesus is and really I'm just ready to go to lunch. But can I tell you that my prayer that has been prayed for the whole week, so it's, it's good prayed, has been that you would come in here and realize that you need Jesus to intersect your story. 
Whether you know that or not, my prayers has been that, that you would walk in here and be like, there's something that is missing from my life. And if you feel that, if you feel that, can I just tell you right now that that thing that's missing is Jesus? And you may not believe me, but I just want you to know, like you've heard the stories of brokenness. You've heard the stories of I was this and now I'm this. And today, boy, it would just be a, a big miss on our part if we didn't give you the opportunity to find out what it looks like to put your faith in Jesus so that he might forgive your sins and transform for me from the inside out. It took 15 years for me, really, to kind of get it. And maybe it'll take 10 seconds or 15 years for you, but you gotta start somewhere, right? And so as we sing and as we respond, um, there's gonna be some people up here. I'm gonna be up here. Uh, there's gonna be some pastors up here, some prayer team people just on this side. We're not gonna do this side today because there's water and electricity. But uh, this side, we're gonna be over here. And if you just wanna pray for anything, we'd love to pray with you. If you'd love to talk about what it looks like for Jesus to intersect your life and for this gospel impact, if you want to talk about that, I'd love talking with you about that. Um, but God's really good. And he radically transforms lives that are broken messes. And I know that because I was a broken mess. And I still kind of am. Now I'm a broken mess with Jesus. And if you feel stuck today, you still feel stuck, hopeless, without life, without joy, without peace, if that's you, can I just offer Jesus as a solution, as the solution to that and to your life? And if you want to talk about that, I'd love to talk with you. If you there's probably someone around here that, that might be able to help explain that to you as well. But God, in the name of Jesus, I just pray that today in this room, your presence would be so thick that those who do not know you would want to, those who do would celebrate you, and God, that you would get all the honor and glory. Come and amaze us with how you change lives in this place right now. It's in your name we pray, amen. Let's stand, let's respond to him.